1: Welcome everybody, I'm super excited for another episode of the show about science. This is the first part of a two-part episode that was recorded at an event called Coal Ice in San Francisco. Come on everybody, the show's about to get started. So let's join the audience and meet our first guest, Captain Don Walsh. Hello everyone. Welcome to today's live episode of the show about science. This is your host, Nate. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here at Colon Ice. I've been here in, in San Francisco all week, and it's been amazing. On Tuesday, I got to see Al Gore talk about climate change on this very stage. Now that's one tough act to follow. And on Monday, I got to interview David Brashears. He took these amazing photos of Mount Everest at the very highest point in the world. So to keep it interesting, I thought today I would talk to someone who's been to the lowest point in the world. Please welcome Captain Don Walsh. How are you doing? I'm doing good, how are you?
2: Fine, thank you. What are we gonna talk about?
1: So first, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
2: I was born in Berkeley, across the Bay. I grew up in the Bay Area. And then I joined the Navy in 1950, 48. And I was in the Navy for 25 years. I was in submarines. After the Navy, I was on faculty. University of Southern California, where I was Dean of Marine Programs. And then after that, I became a consultant. Do you know the definition of a consultant?
1: Uh, No, what is the definition of consultant?
2: When you ask a consultant what time it is, he tells you how to make a watch. (laughs) Because we get paid by the hour.
1: (laughs) Okay, so can you just tell me?
2: You know, they don't laugh at my jokes all the time. My wife's the same way.
1: So, can you just tell me what it was like going to the bottom of the world, Uh the Mariana Trench?
2: Well, uh, during my time in the Navy, I had the opportunity to be selected to be the first captain, if you will, of the bathyscaphe Trieste. That's a big word. It just comes from two Greek words, bathy, deep, scaphos, boat. And it's nothing more than an underwater balloon. So in 1960, we took it to the island of Guam, the Western Pacific, because Guam is only 200 miles from the deepest place in the ocean. And we, uh, in January 1960, took the bathyscaphe um, Jacques Picard, myself, dove to the sea floor there at depth of about seven miles. And that's the deepest place in the world ocean. And then 52 years later, James Cameron, you know who he is, the movie producer, he uh, made a dive in a submersible he designed, just by one person, and I was on that expedition too, so I actually been out there twice when people have gone, only three people in the world have ever gone to the deepest place in the ocean. You were
1: one of them.
2: I was one of the three, and then my colleague, Jacques Piccard, passed on in November uh, 2009, so there's just two of us alive.
1: So, how did you feel when the ship just touched the ground?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I think we were very grateful that uh, we had taken this device, engineered it, modified it, operated it, and we told everybody that's what we're going to do. and We did it. We did it on time and on budget. So we're pretty proud of our team uh, for uh, making this exploration. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, did you find any life there, I mean?
2: Yes, actually, just before we landed, we uh, saw a fish, and It looked like a flat fish, would be like a flounder, you know, bottom-dwelling fish. And that told us three things. One, there's life in the greatest depth of the ocean, and two, because that kind of fish lives on the sea floor, that it was a residence, so that's where his home was. And third, that means that there's more than one, because, of course, you have to have a population, and there's food and oxygen for them. Now, after that dive, all the ichthyologists, the fancy word for fish scientists, biologists, uh, said that was impossible. We didn't see a fish. Well, that's too bad, because I didn't see them inside with me, just the two of us looking out the window. And so, uh, Over the years, the sightings of fish in the ocean have increased in depth and just this past year they found one down a depth of about um, 28,000 feet. So maybe someday they'll actually find one 36,000 feet where we were.
1: So how did you feel when you saw the life at the bottom of the Mariana Trench?
2: Well, no one expected that. And so it was an original discovery, uh, and uh, that told us that nowhere you can go on our planet, you're not going to have some form of life. Maybe it's just microbes, and maybe it's large animals, but life is all around us, everywhere.
1: So what is the chance that there was a new species down there? Like, how positive are you that you saw it?
2: Well, I'm, I've eaten a lot of sole, you know, in the restaurant, <laughs> and so I kind of have. an nice, It wasn't very big; it was about this big. But uh, it, you know, a fish is even a person who is not a biologist. I kind of know what a fish looks like. Okay. And, no, you could too. Uh, and so it was unexpected to find it there, but uh, the shape and form of it was uh, quite what we're used to seeing before.
1: Can you describe it for us? Can you describe what the fish looks like?
2: What that fish Look, looked like? it
1: looked like, yes.
2: It, well, it was about a foot long. It was kind of white or silvery color. Um, but once we landed, we couldn't see anymore because we stirred up the bottom sediment when we landed on the seafloor. So this is just as we approached the seafloor, we could see this thing. And then after we landed on the seafloor, we were kind of blind because of the sediment we stir. It was like looking into a bowl of milk.
1: So you set a record for first person to ever go. Well, you and Jacques Picard set a record mm-hmm. for first people to ever go to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. It's kind of funny because Earlier this week, I got to interview David Brashears, mm-hmm. who actually went to the highest yeah. point in the world. But if you turn Mount Everest upside down and just dumped it in the Mariana Trench, it wouldn't even touch the surface. You'd
2: have one mile of water from the top of Mount Everest to the surface of the ocean. So that's pretty, pretty deep.
1: So. How did you build the machinery to withstand all of that pressure? I mean, how?
2: Well, the, the total pressure on our cabin, which was a steel ball about seven inches thick, and with a, a, a viewing port, a window, we could look out. The total pressure on that cabin, this ball, on the seafloor, the Challenger Deep, Mariana Trench, was 200,000 tons. So that's a lot of pressure. Or eight tons per square inch. So that's, that's a lot. You know, we even had a, a watch on the outside. Like? Uh, this type of watch. And it was, it was a, it, yes, <laughs> Me- message from the sponsor. <laughs> um, no, but they made us, they engineered a very special watch and it rode on the outside of the bathyscap and went all the way to the seafloor, eight tons per square inch and came back up and still working.
1: So like you're into the ocean, like how, how have you seen the ocean change and how should future generations expect to see it change?
2: Well, first of all, you don't exactly see the oceans changing as something like a television or movie. You just observe certain trends. For example, with the oceans warming up, there's, uh, the oceans are getting more acidic, more acid. And when that happens, the shellfish, they build their shells from calcium. They extract from seawater. And with a more acidic ocean, that slows down. So that harms the uh, coral reefs. It harms the mussels, the shellfish, oysters and clams and things of this sort. And so that is damaging uh, marine life in the sea with a warming seawater. And also water expands when it's warm. So you get sea level rise. Then you also get sea level rise because of the melting of the ice caps in Greenland and the Antarctic.
1: So you said that you went to the Antarctic. Yeah. And Antarctic or Arctic?
2: I have done 40 expeditions in the <laughs> Arctic and 40 in the Antarctic. Okay. And Did then you I have. A
1: see any like meteorites? Way off topic, but.
2: Uh, well, I'll I know how they. You. I know how they find them in the Antarctic because the meteorites are very dark. And being black colored, they absorb solar energy, warmth, and so they tend to melt a sort of a flat, a dish in the snowpack. And so you can really see these, and that's a place where the people that study meteorites uh, go down there to make these collections because there's so many that can be collected in the Antarctic because you can see them. I'm going. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But, uh, you know, uh, you've probably seen the numbers, how many tons of uh, space dust fall on our planet every day, but we just can't see it very well.
1: I'd like to thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. There you have it, folks.
0: That's There
1: you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. When we come back, we'll be here with Sylvia Earle. That's right. On part two of this episode of the show about science, We'll meet oceanographer Dr. Sylvia Earle. You definitely won't want to miss that interview. A very special thank you to Captain Don Walsh, Tom Corwin, Marlene Saritsky, and everyone else at Colon Ice. You were all incredible. And thanks to everyone who came out to see the show. Our theme music was composed by Dan, Jeff, and Teresa Brooks. Okay, Dad, you can shut the recording off. For the newest episodes of the show about science, download the PIN app or go to pinna.fm
0: slash promo. Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts, and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference.